Heavenly Father, thank you. Just again, we could worship for days and it would not be enough. And we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for revealing your heart. God, I thank you for those that came in today that are heavy hearted, who are gonna receive their breakthrough. I just declare that in the name of Jesus, that something is gonna touch them in the deep part of their heart, God, and they're not gonna be the same. They're gonna be transformed. They're gonna encounter you. They're gonna know what it is to be a son or a daughter of God, and they're gonna be a new creation today. I thank you for that. God, I thank you for how you're blessing our giving and our finances. I thank you how you're working and moving in the things you have planned in store for our church. May we never stop praying and believing for greater things. God, I pray for our uh, men's conference and our different meetings this week, God, that you would just do a mighty work in our hearts and lives, that you'd cultivate a deep hunger in our hearts to know you more. And God, I thank you for the word you've prepared today. I thank you for how you're gonna speak to us through it and, and just challenge us to grow in wisdom, to know you more, and to reap the benefits of just being obedient to your word. We thank you, Lord, for this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen. Well, it's, it's good to be back with all my V-lifers today uh, here at Vertical Life Church. We were, we were gone last week, and we appreciate the prayers that many of you prayed for us. Uh, recently, my grandfather passed away, and we left uh, over the weekend, last weekend, to attend the funeral. Uh, my grandfather was Lieutenant Colonel Jack Henry, and uh, for those of us that knew him, we called him Granddad, and um, he is not just a special person to our family, but he was a special person to this church. Uh, some of you that were there at the beginning would know, but many of you who have come the last few years uh, wouldn't know this, but my grandfather was on my ordination council. He was a part of the, the council that approved me for gospel ministry, as well as uh, was there at our ratification service when we organized officially as a church. When we were starting our first years meeting and trying to figure out how in the world do we start and or run a church, he was there to teach our leaders about financial stewardship, how to set up our bylaws, uh, just about everything that, that uh, we needed help with. He was there to give some uh, advice and some expertise. And so his fingerprint, his imprint will forever be on our ministry. And so I just thank God for him and, and the resource that he has been for me personally and then also for our church. Uh, we left about a week ago last Thursday evening, and um, or a week ago Thursday, and we traveled down to Nixon, Missouri, about seven hour, or 12 hours away, 700 miles, and uh, we got back last Tuesday before all the crazy weather hit again, so God was gracious. Uh, we got great roads as soon as we left Michigan on the way down and clear sailing all the way back, so we praise God for that. But uh, the thing is, is that no matter how many funerals I have officiated as a pastor, they don't ever get easier, especially when they hit close to home. It's difficult. And I know several of you have endured loss here recently, and so my heart goes out to you. I know what you're going through, and I just pray for God's peace in your life, just as I know he is bringing into mine. And uh, the loss of my grandfather, you know, I told my wife this week, I mean, I would call my grandfather every you know, week or so, uh, every couple weeks, just to see how he's doing. But anytime I had a ministry problem, issue, question, 
a church member was just uptight and not, not cooperating, I'd call him and, and say, man, what do I do? You know, and so I just, I have this burning desire just to be able to call him again and talk to him. And so it's kind of a, a bittersweet thing. But I know where he is. He is serving his post, his assignment in glory. And I wouldn't change that, and I know he wouldn't change that for anything. So it's bittersweet, but it's all at the same time a comfort to know that he is with our Lord and Savior. Today we're in week four of our series, Walk with the Wise. Uh, It is a study in the book of Proverbs. And for those of you that maybe are new or or haven't been with us in a couple weeks, the book of Proverbs was written by King Solomon and is really just a book of wise sayings. It's from a, a, the wisest man who ever lived. It's a letter written to his son who would be the next king. And, and when you read the book, it starts off kind of like a letter, but then it kind of gravitates to just random sayings over and over and over again, just wise little nuggets of truth over and over again. And so I want to kind of start the talk today just reading what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter one, because it really just gives you the core of what this whole book is about. And uh, if you're following along, the, the verses will also be on the screen, but you should also have access to the YouVersion Bible app. If you navigate to the live events page, all the notes and verses will be there for you today. And uh, it's exciting to be able to have multiple resources at our fingertips. But Proverbs chapter one, beginning in verse one, it says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose, the Proverbs, is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. By exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. You know, I love that. I love what Solomon just said. Not not just describing what these are for. I think we all know that we all have room to grow in areas to improve on in our lives. I believe God's word for our church this year was grow, that there's a season of growth. He's taking us through both personally, individually, spiritually, corporately uh, as a church. But I love what he says here. He says, the wise can become wiser. That means there's, there's always gonna be another level. There's never gonna be a place where we just arrive and we've, we know everything there is to know. The wise can become wiser. And you do so, you learn that wisdom by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs. For in them, I believe what he's telling us is you find the wisdom of God. That these Proverbs aren't for any reason other than to help you grow, to know God, to live for Him, to glorify Him with your wife, and in turn, be blessed by Him. So today and over the the next couple weeks, we're going to look at wisdom really for uh, the family, but more importantly, wisdom for our, our, our station in life, the kind of place in life that we find ourselves or may find ourselves one day. Uh, So next week, we'll be looking at parenthood and the week after, potentially, wisdom for adolescents. But in light of the recent events in my life, I think it's fitting for us today to talk about this particular subject. But I also want to say that uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about wisdom for our influences and addressed many very difficult situations. 
And some of you maybe were listening to that and, and God spoke to you or maybe the truth of maybe the situation was just brought up into your life. And I just want to say that God's word is such not to cast a shame or condemnation on anyone, but it's to bring the truth to light so that we have a chance or a choice, really a way out to away from what's going to bring discouragement and dysfunction in our life and lead us towards God's blessings. And, and I just know that maybe some of you were feeling the sting of a situation that maybe happened in your life or a current situation you're living through. But I'm here to tell you today, there is forgiveness for every mistake. There is grace, there is healing, and there is hope in Jesus Christ. God loves you. He wants good for you. And it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. He has a plan for you that's for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. That's God's heart. And these are the moments when we're faced with difficult truths that rather than disconnecting from God or, or pushing away from God or hardening our hearts, this is the moment where we need to lean into the Spirit of God so He can lead us away from what's causing brokenness and lead us towards what will bring blessing. And I think we all want to be blessed. So if you have any questions at all, please Please don't harbor anything in your heart. Come speak to me. Let's, let, let's work through the difficult things together. We love you. We want what's good for you. And we want nothing but to see God bless your life. And I know my wife shares the same sentiment and would be glad to speak with any of you. Um, but for our talk today, we're going to discuss really just, I think, a, an important thing to think about, but something that, that especially as a, because of recent events, it just hits me where I am. And today we're going to discuss wisdom for our latter days. Wisdom for our latter days. Somebody say latter days. Your latter days. One day we will all end up in our latter days. And there are really three things that I want to discuss or really pull out of the Proverbs today that discuss about getting older and aging. I know it's a topic that all of us love to just think about, right? But, it, but the Proverbs does talk about getting older and aging. And it's kind of funny, but this last Christmas, I think, I don't know if this has just become a, a tradition in our family or not, but uh, my wife this past Christmas got me a rather peculiar gift. She got me another one the year before. And I think this is just going to be something that is continuing to be kind of a running joke in our family maybe. But my wife got me a peculiar gift in my stocking. She got me anti-aging and anti-wrinkle cream. Not really what I was expecting. Yeah, it's not, it's not working. Thank you, John. But, uh, you know, but the, the thing is, is that normally has been the case, may, may not last much longer, but anytime my wife and I go out, we get weird stares when we have all of our kids with us because normally people think we're at least 10 years younger than what we actually are. And, and so it was kind of a peculiar thing, anti-wrinkle cream. I thought I looked young, you know. Uh, but, uh, but this is just kind of a, a normal thing where people think that we're younger than what we actually are. It kind of works against me in, uh, being a pastor because I, I even did a funeral recently where I was told people were like, man, he's so young. He's so young. And then they heard me preach and they're like, how could somebody so young preach like that? I'm like, I'm like 30, I'll be, I'll be 37 in March. I'm not that young, you, you know, but, but this is kind of a normal thing that we run into. 
But you know, with aging comes change. Would you agree? With aging comes change. And as you grow older, your body will begin to take on a new form or for some of us, a new shape maybe. You know, it just, it's not the same. It doesn't maintain like it did when we were young. And in our culture, in our lives, we all do so many different things, all sorts of things to try to combat the effects or the appearance of aging. And so, of course, I get wrinkle cream in my stocking. But one of the, one of the more common ways we try to combat the appearance of or the effects of aging is that many people color their hair. Anybody want to testify or confess? Amen. And I mean, this is church. Come on now. Come on now. You know, we color our hair. And many people, I would say, mostly ladies, but even now it's, it's a trend among men too, to color their hair as they age to maintain a youthful look. But let's look what God's word says about aging and about even the color of our hair. Proverbs 16, 31, uh, in the King James Version, it says, the hoary head, that's gray hair, gray hair, is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. In the old King James English, if you're from 1611 England, you'd be saying the hoary head, that is the gray hair. It, it, God is saying here through Solomon that your hair, the gray hair, is a crown of glory. Well, we wouldn't hide a crown of glory we wouldn't cover a crown of glory. We would, we would wear that. We would, we would proudly display that. But here he says, it is a crown of glory if it's found in the way of righteousness. What does that mean? It says, if it's found by acquiring or living a godly life. The hoary head, the gray hair, is, is um, a crown of glory for those who... Find it by living a godly life. Look at Proverbs 20, verse 29. Proverbs 20, 29 says, The glory of the young is their strength, but the what? The gray hair of experience is the splendor of the old. Again, here we see the Holy Spirit inspired by Solomon, is inspired Solomon to say, To acquire gray hair is to acquire glory and splendor. So the question is, if, if gray hair is really something to be proud of, especially if you've lived a God-honoring life, it, it, it demonstrates wisdom, it demonstrates uh, the, you know, the things that maybe come along with having those experiences, why fight the aging look? Why do we fight it? Why, why do we fear getting older? And I think maybe it's because aging reminds us of how little time we have left. Aging reminds us of how little time we have left. And if we can prolong the aging look, if we can prolong like our youth, then deep down we kind of feel as if we're prolonging our lives. Like we're kind of moving that line further down the road. But my question is today, and as I think about just like the passing of my grandfather, is why would we want to prolong our lives? In 2 Corinthians 5.8, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will what? Be at home with the Lord. Can you think of anything greater than to be with Jesus? 
See, the first thing about aging I want to discuss and I want to look at is that number one, the older you are, the closer you are to Jesus. The older you are, the closer you are to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean the more spiritual you are. That doesn't mean that, that, that you're more spiritual than anyone else because you're older. Because I've met some older people who are as spiritual as the kids in our pre-K class. Being older just makes you old. It doesn't make you spiritual. I've met some very wise older people, but I've also met some that are old that aren't that spiritual. So no, being older doesn't make you more spiritual, but what it does is makes you closer to Jesus. See, the reality is, is that every person in this life has one day that they are appointed to die. One day. The Bible says every, day, every man, every human has an appointed day where they will die. The old must die. The young may die. No one is guaranteed any length of time on the earth. No one is. We don't know. Only God knows when that day will come. But that's a reality. If Jesus does not come back in your lifetime, we're, we're resurrected and giving our eternal bodies, our eternal self, one day you too will pass away. You will meet the end of your life. James in James chapter four says that our life is like a vapor or another translation says it's like the morning fog. Our life is here for a short time, but then soon it passes away. The amount of time we spend here on earth is very, very short. And there's no guarantee for how long we will live. So the reality is, is that the older we are, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, there was a time in your life where you realized you were a sinner and you cried out to God and said, God, forgive me of my sins. I trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Make me your son or daughter. Jesus is now my Lord. If there was a time in your life where you had that moment, the Bible says you are a child of God. You are a son or daughter of the most high God. And when you die, every child of God goes to spend eternity eternity with their Lord and Savior in heaven. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus, the older you get, the closer you get to being with your Lord and Savior. You know, I love my family. I love my wife. I love my church. But there is no other place that I want to be more than with my Savior. There's no other place that I want to be than in his presence. Day after day after day after day, the psalm says better is one day in the courts of our God than a thousand days anywhere else. There is no better place. And as long as I'm here, I'm kept from that dream, from that hope and that wish. I want to be with the one who died for my sins. I want to be with the one who crowned me with love and tender mercy when I didn't deserve it. I want to be in his presence more than anything that I want in all of the world. Aging is not a curse. It is a blessing. And the graying of our hair is a reminder of the blessing and favor of God on our lives if you've lived a godly life, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I think another reason why many people want to prolong their youth is really kind of twofold. One, they're worshiping vanity and are consumed with how they look or the way they look or what people might think of, of what they look like. 
And so that consumes them and they can't, they can't be confident in their own skin or the way they look. But I think too, is that many people have a lot of regrets. And the older that they appear, it reminds them of how much time they've wasted and the time they won't be able to get back again. I think those are probably two core reasons. Now, I don't have Facebook. I haven't had a Facebook account for really two years, but my wife has a Facebook, and I, I see some, some of the stuff that's on there every once in a while. And she showed me that uh, a little while ago, there was a trend among some of the ladies we, we knew and were growing up with, that this trend was that they're going natural with their hair. They're still getting it cut and styled and, and all these things, but they're just not coloring their hair anymore. They're letting the gray show. You know, and at first it was kind of a shock because that's kind of countercultural. Normally, and especially the way I grew up, I grew up that women just color their hair. You know, they, they try to keep the color in and, and even, you know, some men do that. But these women were just letting the natural show. And after I began to think about it, it stopped being kind of strange and weird and it became really awesome. I thought, man, that's awesome that they're doing that. Why? Because they need to be able to appreciate the beauty God created and not try to cover the glory and splendor that God has infused in their lives. Not to cover the glory and splendor with, with different colored dyes and facades. Now, there's one thing to be creative. I don't think there's anything wrong with coloring your hair. Don't get me wrong. But there's a difference between coloring it for creativity and coloring it out of shame. There's nothing wrong with being creative. But I believe that women and men should accept themselves for who they are and not be afraid of what people think because of the standards pressed on them by a society that worships vanity. The gray hair is a crown of glory and there should be no shame in just being who you are. Because what that reminds us every day we look in the mirror is how closer we are to Jesus. Number two is that aging causes legacy to come into focus. When I was a young, as a young person, especially as a teenager, I, I could remember, man, I don't got to think about my future. I, I mean, I'm just a kid or I'm just, I'm a young person. But the older you get, the more your legacy begins to kind of come into focus. As we get older, we become or should become more aware of the legacy that we're actually leaving. In Proverbs 13, 22, uh, God says through Solomon that good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but their sinner's wealth passes to the godly. You see, every person who has a family wants to make sure that their family is taken care of when they pass on in this life. No one wants to leave their, their family stranded or strapped. And here I believe God is telling us that righteous people will care about the legacy that they're leaving. They'll care about those who leave behind to make sure their children and grandchildren are in a good place rather than struggling in the midst of heartache and pain. You know, I have officiated several funerals and there have been times where people didn't know how they were gonna pay for the funeral. It's expensive. It's really expensive. And if there wasn't any uh, uh, precautions made, then usually the family is left to scrounge and try to figure out how to pay for a major expense. They're left to scrounge and struggle, and it's a very difficult thing. It just adds more stress and more struggle to an already difficult situation. You know, though financial support or a financial blessing is important in inheritance, especially as we grow older, we should keep our next of kin in mind when it comes to the state of our finances. What I believe is more important than a monetary inheritance 
is the inheritance of a good name. Though sinners can pass monetary wealth to their children, I don't believe Solomon is saying sinners never pass on an inheritance. I know people who don't know God pass on inheritances. What I believe he's referring to here is though, though sinners can pass on monetary wealth to their children, what they cannot pass on is a legacy of faith. They cannot pass on what God would consider a good name. In Proverbs 11, verse 4, he says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You see, a life and a legacy of righteousness, a name lived for the glory of God, a faith that is unwavering is greater than any monetary inheritance you can leave your children or grandchildren. Why? Because you can't take a dime with you when you get to heaven, but you can take every family member you've got. You can take every generation if you leave a good name. And you know what? Jesus left us a pretty good name, didn't he? He left us a name to live up to. He left us a name to live for and to die for and to trust in. So what or how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered when your time comes? How do you want your children to speak of you at your funeral? What are the memories that you want them to hold on to? What kind of name are you leaving for your children and grandchildren to live up to? Are you leaving a name that they'll be honored to carry on? Or are you leaving a name that they want to change at the Social Security office as soon as they get the chance? What kind of name are you leaving? See, at my granddad's funeral, I was able to listen to the officiant and my Uncle Joe, who I'm named after, speak of my grandfather. And the things they spoke of him were of integrity, of character, of unwavering faith, they spoke of his candor and his plain old transparency. You know, there was no beating around the bush with my grandfather. He said exactly what was on his mind, exactly the way it was on his mind. He didn't try to sugarcoat anything. What you saw is what you got. He was a straight shooter. But my grandfather also instilled many values into the lives of the people he touched. Many, many principles that he infused and even into me. And one of the things that pastor said that, that was so true and it was evident in his life, the pastor said that uh, he had a, a conversation or a situation where my granddad was in authority over him and basically spoken to his life. And he told him, don't make excuses for getting involved in your church. Like, I don't have time for that because you will make time for whatever you want to do. Don't make excuses and say, I, I don't have time to do that. Don't make excuses for not doing something for the Lord because you will always make time for the things you want to do. And the same is true for our finances. Don't say, I can't give to God because you will give to whatever you want to give. You'll spend money that you don't have to see a movie. You'll spend money you don't have for a, a cup of coffee or a piece of pizza or, or whatever the case is. We will do the things we want to do. And he reminded us that we should never make that excuse when it comes to living for the Lord. He also taught us never find a church to attend, but find a church to serve in. The church is not about attending. Church is about serving. We serve one another. So we should never look for one to attend. We should look for one to serve in. You know, he was a patriot. He was a veteran who believed in duty, honor, and country. But one thing he prized over the country he served 
was his citizenship in heaven. He prized his citizenship in heaven over the citizenship of this great nation, and he held a deep conviction to complete his duty for Christ, living for God's honor, Christ's honor, and out of love for his true country, which was in heaven. And in this place in my life, as I think about what was spoken of my grandfather, you know, I want to be remembered the way my granddad was and is because he's still here. He's still alive with the Lord. My granddad was a man who loved Jesus and served him with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And even in his last days, as he battled dementia, he couldn't, he couldn't remember it. I could call him on the phone and 30 minutes later, he would never know that I had called him. Even in his last days, he tried to lead a Bible study in the memory care unit that he had. And he would study and study and study, but then sometimes he'd forget even to go. Or when he went, he would forget that he was even leading it. But his heart was never to stop serving God. I want to be remembered as a man who never stopped, who continued to serve the Lord until my final breath. In his last moments, he served the Lord, and that's how I want to go out. The inheritance I want to leave to my children, the name I want to leave to my grandchildren is a good name, a name that reflects a life that's surrendered to Jesus Christ. When people hear the name Joey Henry, I want them to think of a man of integrity, a man of great faith, and a man who loved everyone that he touched. So how do you want to be remembered? What kind of spiritual inheritance are you leaving for your family and future generations? What kind of name are you leaving behind? What in your life do you need to give over to the Lord or surrender to the Lord to begin working toward leaving that kind of name and that kind of legacy? Number three about aging is aging changes your perspective. Aging changes, aging, aging changes your perspective. Again, I'm 36 years of age, soon to be 37 in March. I've had many experiences over the course of my life. I have four beautiful children and they're fast growing children at that. They're getting bigger all the time. I have a wonderful treasure in the wife that God has gifted to me. And yet with all the experiences and blessing that I've had in the scheme of things, compared to some, my life has actually been relatively pretty short. And even so, when looking at the average lifespan, 70 to 80 years, my life is nearly half over. So there's not much time left for me to live. And that changes your perspective. See, my granddad had his time called just a little over a week ago or two weeks ago. And it was not really uh, all that sudden. We knew it was coming. He reached 90 years of age. He had dementia. He had cancer of the bladder, which ultimately is what took his life. But he lived a rich and full life. He had many experiences. He joined the army just after World War II ended. And he entered the Air Force, uh, really began studying as a pilot before the Air Force was the Air Force. When the Air Force became ratified as another branch of the military, he kind of gravitated into that. He finished his time there as a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. He fought in the Korean War. He flew planes in Vietnam. Uh, and at every post, essentially, that he was stationed in after his wife led him to Christ, he was either serving a church, starting a church, um, building the ministry there in that area. After retiring from the Air Force, he pastored for a while. He planted a church and then was called to serve as the executive vice president of Boston Bible College in the Northeast. 
My grandfather wrote two books were published on church finance and budgeting. And it was kind of funny. My wife and I were visiting a church in Detroit. It was, we didn't really have any connection to it, but this church had a Bible college in their church. And so we were looking around at the resources in, the, in their bookstore. And my grandfather's book was sitting on the shelf and it wasn't even the same denomination that he grew up in. I had no idea that his books were like sold that widely and had that much impact, but they did. Um, recently, I've come across some of my grandfather's old teachings and, and the college he was a part of sent me a, a digital file of some of the um, classes he taught for distance ed on church finance. And as I was going through some of that content, I realized that the things he was teaching were the very same things Dave Ramsey's put out in the Financial Peace University. That's pretty popular. Many people have heard about that. And I had no idea that my granddad was teaching financial peace long before Dave Ramsey was ever known or ever made any money. You know, he was a pioneer in bringing the marketplace into ministry. But in saying all that, and I'm not saying that to brag on my grandfather, but saying all of that, what God has shown me in these last few years as I've watched and waited for this day for my grandfather to pass away to come, for Jesus to call him home, what really began to matter in his life. Proverbs 17, 6, it says, Grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Since my grandfather was admitted into the memory care unit or facility, I, again, I would make calls to him every now and again to see how he was doing. And when I would talk to my granddad, he would ask me really the same three things over and over again, sometimes multiple times within the conversation. And, you know, he wouldn't ever ask me about the wars that he fought and the medals that he won. He wouldn't ask me about the ministries he started or, or founded. He wouldn't ask me about his time as the executive vice president. He wouldn't ask me about how his books were selling or, or how many he sold or whether he was on Amazon or not. But do you know what he did ask me about? How's your family? Tell me about the kids and tell me about your church. That's what he asked me about. I could call my granddad again if I called him 10 times in a row. It'd be the same thing over and over again. Tell me about your family. Tell me how the kids are doing. Tell me about your church. And you know, I, I would call him and then he would say, you know what? This just made my day. This is the best gift that I've ever received. We, uh, a couple, about a week or so before he passed, my mom was visiting him and we had a chance to FaceTime him. And uh, we, were, we were looking at him on the, on the phone and all the kids got to talk to him. It was really one of the last things that actually happened before he you know, began to just sleep and not be able to be conscious anymore. But after we got off the phone, he said, that was the greatest Christmas present I had ever received. That's what he told us. And of course, we let him go. And my mom was there for a few more minutes. And she said, you know, I was about to leave. And he grabbed my arm really tight. And he kept asking, tell me about the kids. Tell me about the family. Tell me how things are going. And my mom said, you know what? It's like he knew his time was coming and he was desperate to hold on to the very thing that was the most precious to him in his life. You know, I was thinking, you know, why was knowing about us so important? A man who's had many accomplishments and experiences in his life at the end of his life, why was knowing about us so important? Why were his memories the most important? And I believe it's because the one commodity that we have in this life that is invaluable, 
that is more precious than any accolade, any treasure, or anything we could accumulate or win in this life. The commodity that is the most invaluable is our treasured memories. It's the people that are in our lives, the memories of the people that you love. You know, Solomon writes, it's not the 401ks or the sports teams or whether or not the Patriots won the Super Bowl. Go Patriots. Sorry for those of you that were disappointed. It's not about fashion trends or clothes. It's not about any material possession. The crown and glory of the aged, the most prized possession of the aged are the people that you love. You know, when we're young, what matters to us is not what matters in the end, in our last days. In our last days, in our latter times, no one gets distracted with a few more hours at work or I need to make another dollar or worrying about the bills or that new video game or movies coming out. There's, I need that new pair of shoes that I saw in the window. None of that matters when you're about to arrive on eternity's doorstep. What we invest in now, though, will determine how much treasure we have in the end. If we live a life of disconnection, a self-centered life, a self-focused life, if we're constantly pulling away from what's most important, which are the relationships and the family and the people in our lives, rather than leaning in and cultivating and building uh, healthy, strong relationships built on a foundation of faith in Jesus Christ, what we will create for our life in our latter days will not be treasured moments. It'll be a life full of painful regrets. If we're not intentional about making treasured moments, we will automatically be making painful regrets. You see, no one on their deathbed says, man, I wish I made more money. No one on their deathbed says, man, I wish I worked more and had more overtime. No one says, I'm glad I put my career first before my family. I wish I could have bought more clothes. I wish I could have driven that nicer car. But what they do say is, man, I wish I had more time with my family. I wish I'd made better choices. I wish I didn't work so much. I wish I hadn't disconnected so much. And I'd give anything to have that time back. The wisdom for the latter days that I believe we can extrapolate from Proverbs and from Solomon and from God is that we can glory in every phase of life. We can praise God for every phase and in every phase of life if we prioritize what really matters. It's not our appearance. It's our altitude, how close we are to Jesus. It's not our lifestyle, but it's our legacy, leaving a good name. It's not tiresome pursuits, but it's treasured memories, making moments and not regrets. Maybe you're here today and you've lived a long life. You, you want to know where to go from here. You're like, well, I'm looking at my life and I'm not sure how much time I have left, Pastor Joey. And honestly, I've got some regrets. I've got some regrets in my life for things that have happened. And, but now God has not called you home yet. And you want to know, what do I do with the rest of my life? Or, or, or maybe you want to live in such a way that you're a young person, that, that you want to have more treasured memories at the end of your life than painful regrets when you reach the age of the latter days. And these are questions we all should be thinking about no matter what age that we're in. And I would say that if that's you here today and that's on your heart, 
that the wisdom that we need to pull out from the word of God today is that we need to live today as if Jesus Christ was coming back tomorrow. We need to live today as if tomorrow was our very last today. That we don't waste an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We don't take our relationship with God for granted, your relationship with your church for granted, your relationship with the people in your life, your family for granted. I would say that we need to pursue estranged relationships in your family so that you're not regretting them when your last days come. Take a stand for moral issues in your community, in your country, so you're not kicking yourself saying, why didn't I do something about that when I had the chance? Make time to love your family well. Make every moment count, especially the time you have left. But above all, what I would say is that you need to give Jesus your heart. You need to give Jesus your heart. It's so easy to hold part of ourselves away from God and not let him in. And maybe you're here today and you need to be saved. You say, well, what does that mean, Pastor Joey? That means you need to come to a point where you say, I'm gonna ask God to forgive me of my sins and to be my Lord and Savior. If you've never had that point in your life where you became a child of God and began a relationship with God, at the end of your latter days is not blessing and promise. It says there's appointed one day for man to die, but then at the end comes judgment. I'd rather be judged for what I did good in this life rather than being judged for what I did bad. And to avoid the judgment that leads away from the presence of God, you need to begin a relationship by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And saying, Father, I recognize I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Today I'm placing my faith and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and I'm making him my Lord and Savior. You get to drive now, not me. Maybe you're here today and you need to make that decision. Or maybe there's an area in your life you said, I, I've made that decision. I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm a child of God. But maybe there's some areas in your life where you need to surrender to God. Maybe you're worshiping vanity and your life is consumed by appearance. Maybe you're consumed with material things and you do more to accrue earthly riches than you do spiritual riches. Maybe you know God's called you to do something and you've been too afraid to step out in faith for what that might mean. Maybe you're afraid to even ask God what he wants for your life because you're afraid of what he might say. And there's a part of your life, there's a part of your heart that you've kept from him. In just a moment, when we bow for prayer, we enter a time of response. My challenge to you, church, in light of eternity, is to give your heart to Jesus. I'll be down front if you'd like to begin a relationship with Christ, or maybe there's just something in your life that you need prayer for. We'll have some people down front to pray with you, but don't leave here today without giving your heart to Jesus Christ. The fastest way to a good name is knowing Jesus. The fastest way of leaving a godly legacy is knowing Jesus. The fastest way to know that you're making more treasured memories than painful regrets is giving your life to Jesus. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you for this moment. We thank you for your word. I thank you for godly legacies left by people of faith. I thank you for a family legacy 
that my grandfather left. I thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ and the good name that he left for us. And I just pray in this moment today, God, wherever people are, whatever you're speaking, Holy Spirit, you draw every heart, that there be no hearts of stone left in this place. God, that we would not be afraid of what other people think, God, but we'd be ready to respond to what you're speaking to our hearts. God, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, I pray, God, when we stand and begin to sing and, and just worship in a time of respond, God, they'd come forward, meet me down front, and allow me to introduce them to the one who will change their life. God, I pray that if you've spoken to hearts in their areas of conviction, God, they wouldn't stay in their seat. They'd take a step of faith and come forward and lay themselves down and pray and invite you in to be Lord of that area in your life. You see, you can't say no to God and say Lord at the same time. You can't say no to God and say Lord at the same time. Lord means yes. It means God gets to choose. God, may we be a people that call you Lord and say yes in every area, whatever it is. God, we want to be a people that leave a godly legacy. We want to be a people that leave our community better than the way we found it. We want to have an impact that stems beyond religious institutions, but goes on to healing of families and brokenness, overturning of depression and filling people with joy, seeing sickness and disease cured, seeing people with grief and, and just, just sorrow, being filled with the joy and the strength of the Lord. God, we want to see people filled uh, just with your mighty spirit, God, that they would be filled with such a hunger and a passion to do your will, Lord, that, that the, this just city and our families would not be the same, God. But God, it begins with us. And so I pray now, Lord, as we go into this time of response, you draw every heart. You do your work. Let your healing power and miraculous power fall. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together for just a time of response. If you need prayer for anything at all, come forward.